Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic, are you a daring leader? So in light of whatever disruption that we have faced, pandemic disruption, and it's happened globally, the leaders have been asked to step up and they had to leave their comfort zone. They had to adapt to the adversity and no judgment and or avoidance was expected. And I hope leaders stepped up to that level. Then they were asked to deliver where they did not always have a clue of what to do to get the delivery done. And the spotlight was on them. Were they able to ask their people to get things done while staying empathetic? And since it was so much of an unknown, they had to be making mistakes as they went about delivering on the business promise. But were they able to admit mistakes? And then since not every time things go as expected, were they able to take criticism and did that all in stride and understanding that it could cause them embarrassment, it could cause personal and reputational risk for the organization and even an emotional exposure because nobody likes to be facing the fire. So this conversation is supposed to be a candid one where leaders talk as humans, individual leaders first versus representing their company because it's about them being a daring leader. And they have to also show while confidence and strength, but also show the vulnerabilities and be ready to expose their fear, uncertainty and doubt that they might have as humans and where they need help. Well, it does take a special breed of leaders who could, who were ready to take this type of a topic and run with it. So I've got two fearless leaders here. We got Lou McGee, Chief Information Officer, rather Group Chief Information Officer for Sasol. Hey, Lou, how are you? I am great. And how are you doing? Very good, sir. Very good. Thanks for joining us. And we have Michael Redledge, who is the Chief Information Officer and Head of Technology Services with Citizens Bank. Hey, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Very good. So let's jump right in. So, Lou, I'll start with you. You got your people uh, who, one on one hand, were executive management were who were looking up to you to take care of the IT shop and actually not just be an IT guy, but a business person who happens to be de- dealing with the IT function. And then there were other people who were your troops who were looking at you or looking up to you since you were driving that vehicle, the big vehicle, the strategic vehicle called IT that is supposed to serve the business. And guess what? Now you face the pandemic. Never trained for it. Never came across something that interesting and uncertain and complex. How did it shake you? And how did it shape you? I think the type of problems that we had to deal with uh, shook us. If I were to go for a precise example, we value security very high because of our type of industry and the trends that we've seen. So we did not have sufficient VPNs available and ready to get 5,000 of our business critical people to be connected via VPN. So that shaped me because I had to go quickly and admit that we can only do 3,000 for the first month. Not a good message to be sending that you can only do three months, 3,000, and we jump and say that. So I think in terms of how it, um, it shaped me, it made me much more proactive that I cannot carry this weight on my own and go and scrap around and find 5,000 and be irresponsible about the cost that I'm going to incur. If I admit that I can only accommodate 3,000 concurrent users, while I come up with a plan, 
within that month of accommodating the next 2,000 or 3,000 at a cost that is reasonable. So that's how it shook me by having new experiences that we've never been asked before to be asked for something that in a short period of time that you know you can't do. It shaped me because it quickly made me to be proactive in my responses rather than wait for the time and only come back later. So Michael, building upon what Lou said here, you don't have a capability, you accept, right? It's not a mistake. It's just that you never planned for it and you did not ever expect that something like that would happen. And then it shaped you because you became, or you learned something so that you grew from it and hopefully you will be more proactive next time. Well, we do this uh, as leaders, I guess, business as usual as well. Is there something fundamentally shifted in the way you thought what leadership is versus what new muscles you had to build in or use, or you did not even know you had those muscles you had to use when you were hit with this pandemic-related disruption? Yeah, let me give you a, a slightly different example to lose, but certainly I think it did call on, uh, you know, all my sort of experience and, and leadership. But, uh, you know, we were, you know, the, the government announced the Payroll Protection Program, PPP, and it was a way to help small businesses get through the crisis by providing loans in a very rapid space of time. Now, you know, we weren't our systems. We hadn't built the systems to support that. And, and we didn't even know the specs going into that. And the information came as very fast and furiously. But obviously, we wanted to help our, our customers. You know, our customers were on the phone. Immediately, it was announced saying when could they apply for these loans and when could they you know, get the money. So... You know, it was something that we had to adapt to very, very rapidly. The strength of the Small Business Administration, their tech group, was absolutely swamped and inundated with requests. We just couldn't even get through to them. So we didn't know what the spec looked like. So, you know, our plan was to develop APIs that we could build. I had very high confidence in that, in my team and in that solution. But we didn't have the final production specs. So we had to come up with a contingency plan and we came up with a contingency plan to use robotics to do screen scraping of the application fields so that we could do it more rapidly than an operator could do. So, you know, it really rely, I, you know, I had to really rely on to, to build that in parallel to the existing solution that we had, even knowing that, you know, I really had full confidence that the API solution was the way to go. It was much more stable, much more uh, of an elegant solution. But I had to do something in, uh, in parallel as a contingency because this was critical to the bank. The bank's reputation was at stake. You know, uh, all the banks were obviously doing this in parallel, trying to make sure that we could help our customers and make sure these small businesses survived. So... You know, from my perspective, really, I had to bring all the team to bear. Uh, initially, I brought a small team on board. And then really what I learned from a leadership style is, you know, you, you, know, you can rely on your leaders to really step up during these times. I mean, personally, I had to step up as a leader, but I would say my leadership team stepped up. And one thing I should have done sooner was ask for help sooner. Because in this situation, we had one track building APIs, there was a second track developing the robotics. And what I tried to do, the first track was well underway with an experienced leader and he was building it. But the second track, the robotics, I tried to lead myself instead of delegating that task. And what I, you know, what I learned is I should have, dele I did delegate it in the end, but I should have delegated it much sooner uh, and, and trusted some of my leaders. And that was a big lesson learned for me. In the end, 
we didn't have to use that solution. The API solution came through, you know, we processed, uh, we were able to build that solution, test it, implement it in production in less than a week once the SPA administration gave us the appropriate credentials and we were able to satisfy all the loans for our customers. But the lesson learned for me was, you know, as a leader is don't take too much on yourself, rely on your leadership team and delegate and make sure you have, you know, multiple solutions, multiple irons in the fire. So Lou, what Michael just said, do you, I'm just going to try to ask you a question to validate. Do you think as you're put in a leadership position or maybe not put, but you earned it, right? You earned it by doing certain things right. But do you think as a leader, many of us who may be leading in our respective position somehow imply that role means show signs of heroism? And no matter what, you got to crack it yourself. Because if you go ask for help, you are yourself downplaying that asking for help into somebody's crying for help and which will create a reputational risk for you. How do you process this whole idea that something is beyond you and you need help? Do you let ego get in the way or do you feel in your role you have to not go ahead and ask for help because that might come and haunt you later that this guy doesn't have a backbone or is not able to go ahead and ask for what is required at that, that given time to move the business forward. What goes on in your mind or any leader's mind in such situations? I've, I've always felt that it is much more easier for me to lead with humility. Um, I think I've always find it so much easier um, to kind of pretend to be knowing less and, uh, and always manage the other side of, of being in a power of or a place of responsibility. But you, you are absolutely right that that's something that one must always be marshalling, must always be uh, guarding against. But sometimes uh, other leaders tend to default it the, the other way uh, of showing too much um, uh, fragility uh, in, their, in their approach. So I'll say I'm always on the other side. So I've got to move harder uh, to the other side of demonstrating much more uh, power, demonstrating much more, uh, because for me that tapping that level does not come naturally. Uh, it always comes naturally for me to be uh, part of the pack, to be uh, trying to project the equality within uh, my team, challenge them to challenge me quickly um, if they feel I'm not uh, living up to, I'm not leading them in the right way. So, so I've always tried to have uh, that balance. So that the challenge that I have with the challenge that you've described, I always have the opposite challenge that you, you, you are describing, that I need to, at some stage, uh, show much more authority, uh, show much more leverage uh, the, the role because I go um, uh, to the other side, uh, which is different than, than what I see from most leaders. Let's take a quick break. Listeners will be right back. And Michael, when we come back, I'd like to ask you this. How do you tackle this catch 22, which is if you go ask for help, nothing wrong with it. You get the job done. But then when you're asking for help and you ask maybe way too often, and we do not know how to qualify it way too often. And if you do so, how much lack of confidence does that develop? Or how does the confidence dwindle among the people who are being led by you? Because they say this guy is not aware or is not able to solve a problem. So am I willing to be led by this person? 
they would not care about the the practicality or the complexity of the problem but it's about the optics and that's how humans work right perception is reality so how do you maintain that perception that yes i am worthy of leading you but wherein wherever i need help i'm going to go ahead and ask for it please stay tuned listeners we'll be right back Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at ciotalknetwork.com. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So Michael, if you show uh not weakness but ask for help way too often, your team might start second guessing your ability to lead them. If you don't ask, the company suffers and your hero syndrome is not going to help you get to a state which the business wants and even you want. So that's a catch 22. What would you have done if you have an experience that you can share with us? where you gave came out of it and came up with a solution which will allow you to keep a healthy balance yeah so the exact you know i was fairly new to the bank i was brought into the bank two and two and a half years ago to really modernize their technology footprint and i started with a a strategy we call it next generation technology and it really was a transformation to transform the bank to an agile operating structure to introduce automation to move to the cloud um to really upskill our engineering prowess at the bank whilst continuing to protect the bank from a cyber and a production uh, perspective and so it was a big task i was new to the team the team didn't know didn't know me obviously they knew my background they knew where i'd come from on paper but you know the ceo had an enormous amount of of confidence in me and i had to lead uh, from the front there and get put the strategy together present the strategy to the board but at the same time it was my team who had to execute this and so i had to bring them along that journey and make sure that they they were parts of the goals so they they own the goals and really i had to then so what i did was you know the the strategy composed of five pillars and i gave my direct responsibility for each of those pillars and really said you have to own this and you have to move forward now as part of that to your point were they thinking at that time wow he's passing the buck he's uh he's giving us that responsibility shouldn't he own this and i really had to think through that and i did own the overall overarching program uh and then i worked very closely with them to set uh you know key indicators results metrics to really show where we were going and make sure those targets were clear and for them to really understand uh what their you know what their goals were and how help them uh in terms of how they would uh, that they would achieve that and then along the way we had to show the business that we were adding value what was this strategy going to deliver to the business so it's very important to get some early wins uh as part of this and really and we did that with we you know i i really focused on actually the fifth pillar to start with which was to really gain get credibility for our technology team by really restoring faith in terms of production support lowering the number of outages and making sure we had no no cyber incidents and that was really important initially when starting out this to really establish that credibility uh, with the team very good point there uh, mike that you 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 were also 
doing some modernization um, to, to, to that extent. But I have always felt very comfortable working with deep experts, even if I do not have the expertise knowledge. I've always felt very comfortable having a conversation um, that says, hey, what I want is to modernize I am in order for us to achieve this objective of being one with business, creating teams that are embedded uh, with business and creating a process or a flow of work that makes things easier for the business to see where we are going and be able to uh, scale things in a way that the business is able to see where all their work items are. But I've always been comfortable not knowing how to get there as a leader. Um, so as a leader, I've always kind of uh, figured that my role is to define that level of destination and kind of case for change by having a very good appreciation of where we are on the as is. So I never felt that I needed at that point to understand the mechanisms with which we are going to achieve the DevOps. And as a leader, I was willing at that time to say, hey, I've recruited you for, for DevOps. Hey, I've recruited you to make sure that you assist us to move from projects to portfolios and um, help us learn and then help us modernize. So my style is that one of always showing my team the vision, the case for change, and the curiosity to learn from them. And, and never at any point um, do I feel that going for them for help in helping me um, with orchestrating the mechanisms with which we can uh, orchestrate to the outcome uh, will, will weaken me. So, Michael, when we were to come back and from a pandemic, you are living it, and I'm sure many of us are still living it. And especially when it started, the survival instincts kicked in for us since our family was impacted. Then the employees, the staff that you had, the business users, your executive management, nobody was spared. And when we are dealing with such things and you are put on a spotlight, what did you do to make sure that the work got done and if it did not get done, there was a reason given for that not getting done besides that empathy and the, uh, you know, the, the, the human suffering that we were going through, keeping that aside and built some sort of a benchmark, which gave you the label of a daring leader where you earned it, not just somebody gave you, but you earned it as a daring leader and you got the things done, but you did not come across as someone who is uh, insensitive to the unique situation people are going through personally and professionally. What did you do? What was that healthy recipe or healthy mix you created? Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, to start with, you have to show that, you know, your employees that safety is a top priority and that you know we're a critical service right as a bank we stayed open throughout the pandemic most of our branches stayed open the whole time and we had obviously staff in those branches as well as the contact center staff as well as some of the key technology staff that do things like cyber and production support so it was important to recognize that you know people were 
make sure they're safe, make sure there's social distancing, make sure they have the space uh, between them, make sure that the, you know, we're taking all the necessary uh, precautions during this time uh, and communicate, communicate, communicate what we are doing to keep them safe. So, you know, that was very, uh, you know, that was very, very important to us. And uh, I think, you know, we initiated our BCP plans. We had pretty pretty well laid out BCP plans. And that, that allowed us to move, uh, you know, fairly quickly. We got uh, 12,000 colleagues working on VPN within a couple of weeks. I, I set up a war room, three war rooms actually, to distribute laptops, to get them imaged and get them out, get them distributed around the country uh, to, our, uh, to our colleagues. Um, and, you know, we, we were able to pretty rapidly mobilize and make sure the businesses weren't impacted. And, and people, people step up, you know, they, they, she talked earlier around her, uh, heroism, you know, um, you really see that when people, you see people at their best when they're working through a crisis. And, you know, the analysis paralysis goes away. People have to make decisions. People move on, you know, move forward and, and actually get things done really, really rapidly. Now, the question becomes, as this went on and on and on, and we all know it's gone on far too long, but uh, the, that becomes harder. You can't have people who are working over 18 months, you know, uh, all the time working flat out, doing these heroics. So how then do you keep them motivated and keep the team you know, over, over that period of time. And that's where you've got to sort of shift your leadership a little bit and make sure you're thinking about them in the, the long term. What, what flexibility are you, you offering in terms of work from home arrangements? What sort of, um, you know, what, what sort of advice or options are you giving them to be able to call in and, and speak to people when they may be under stress? And what sort of help can you provide in terms of PTO or other things to help people work through this who may have uh, sick relatives or, or family members going through this. So I, I do think it's, it's really important that you, you always have as a top priority and they know that you have as a top priority their, their personal safety. While at the same time, you're absolutely right, you have to move forward with the, with the business. So you've got to set up some contingency plans that allow you to uh, operate even at reduced Staffing levels, whether that's uh, you know hiring more contracts, resources to supplement some of the colleagues, whether that's doubling down on automation. So one of the things we've really strived to do during this time uh, is really uh, invest heavier in digital transformation, and and that's you know freed up some time for our for our employees, uh, but also helped our our customers. You know, many customers didn't want to come into a branch. They could, the branches were open, but they, they didn't want to. So how can we make sure that we can service them digitally, you know, so they can do a lot more on the phone than they used to? So, you know, we had an initiative called War on Paper, where we really tackled getting paper out of the bank. It makes us more efficient, but it also makes it frictionless for our customers and really helps them do everything in a digital manner. So, uh, Luke, coming back to you, building on what Michael said, you know, people kind of expected that, yes, there is a crisis, everybody steps up. And I know, you know, you, you have to still lead the troops, get it. But when it is truly to earn uh, the, the badge of a daring leader, that's where, like those unique situations where your business leaders might say, guys, get the work done, but you've got something else which is happening with your families or like, you know, people's families or the staff's families or something, and you have to fight for them. The daring, the, the quote-unquote daring component of leadership is where no one else but you feel so many times, and you may be feeling the right way that this is how we should go, but you're going against the grain. And you take, you, you kind of muster the courage and go against the grain. People might frown at that idea, but once you really move forward and you bring, you know, some, some good results, then people come and clap and kind of give you the badge of daring leader. Sometimes you might fall flat on your face. 
or sometimes it might embarrass you because you were daring or you took that daring step. But well, that's what daring is. So what kind of daring, going against the grain you had to do, Lou, in your organization for you to earn that badge when we were facing this pandemic or even now? Yeah, I was just listening to to what uh, Mike also said that at the beginning, you know, we had lots of momentum, uh, lots of pace, and we were able to do things very fast. But as things, you know, continue, and the other problem with um, with where I am uh, with the organization is that we are not out of the situation, uh, obviously, that, um, that we have been. So over time, um, that's where it's been very hard. But in the short term, when the, the, there was a very excitement, get the pace done very fast, thinking on your feet, uh, doing things that normally takes us for a very long time, um, faster, because we needed to enable Office 365, that would have taken us a year to do and a year of training. You just dropped it. And tomorrow, people were using it. And people were letting you know in terms of what errors we're getting and you're fixing it. And we had a budget for it for training. Never spent uh, that budget for training. So I, I identify with a lot of things that you spoke about um, uh, there, Mike. But I think the question that you, you were asking about uh, this time as a, as a leader, how do you remain uh, sensitive to what was happening um, in the homes and um, as well as your follow-up uh, conversation in terms of what are those things that one would have identified uh, to make um, one a daring leader? I think on the back end um, of your question, I think as leaders uh, during this time, what I think would have earned um, me as a daring leader this time was to be able to put in during the time of difficulty with level of sensitivity to say that these are the things that we ought to have done by 30th of June, 2021. And negotiate those things that they are the things that make sense to our business. But during a difficult time, you, you negotiate with your team, you make sure that you are still sufficiently ambitious in terms of how you ought to be uh, becoming a daring leader of what these things need to be done, but you are also still uh, sensitive enough um, to illustrate to your team how they, they will be done. Because I feel like during this time of difficulty, where leadership gets compromised, is when we don't put we, we we don't put out there that our role as leaders is still to put out there in terms of negotiating that uh, upper a uh, goal that our team must achieve, and then try as much and, and work towards it. So during this difficult time we introduced something that we call them OKRs, that we're introducing them for the first time, where we are going to have a very clear way of identifying what is it that we plan to do, what are the key results that we are achieving on those things, and hold ourselves very honest and accountable to those key results as we, as we drive them. So I'll say that as a daring leader, introducing OKRs and driving them towards our financial year end and achieving uh, some of those things um, 
that that for me will describe uh, as a deading leader at this time of of this pandemic. Yeah, Lou, I think you you, you touched on a great example there of, of being a daring leader. You know, the, your decision to roll out Office 365 immediately, right? You, you could have you, you could have delayed that and said thought about all the the reasons why not to do it, and yet you it was a, you had to, so you pushed forward and you got it uh, and you got it done. I think I think the pandemic has shown many examples of that where. You know, we've just had to do it. There's no choice. The, the VPN example you gave at the beginning, right? You had you had no choice. You had to push forward and get it done. The survival of your business, you know, depended on it. And you know, that was certainly the same for me with the the PPP program. We just uh, we we had to get it done. You know, we just had to get it done very very rapidly. But it showed that you can do it, right? It shows that when the teams come together. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to take 18 months to get a release to market. You can move to an agile fashion, to your point. You can set OKRs that are much more specific, that are very granular. You can do MVPs. You can get things to market much more quickly. And I think uh, we, we've really shown that. We certainly have with our you know, digital transformation. We're now we're delivering some capabilities within days, within you know, days, weeks, rather than months. You know, we just rolled out interactive telemachines at our branches so that people can communicate through an ATM back with a, with a call center. And we were able to roll out to five branches within about six weeks from conceiving the idea. And, and that type of speed, I think, was generated, frankly, because of our need in, in during the pandemic to move at speed. And we, you know... We've, we've continued that as we've continued this journey. I'm thoroughly with you there. There is this saying that uh, necessity um, <laughs> the mother. Um, I, I think we have stopped overthinking. And then I think as a leader now, our responsibility is to say, look, you said we cannot have, we, we only had, about a thousand concurrent VPN into our system. We have 10,000 now. And we're able to build those things, no time, because it was necessary. And it was necessary to make sure that they bring in less load than the thousand. And um, since this pandemic brought us all together, to have a conversation of what the solution looked like. It, it became very easy for somebody very junior to say, guys, can I try out this thing uh, that Microsoft said it could be done? But it, it, for now, it's gonna be very slow, but it could be done. We will optimize it. During, let's say, peacetime, We'll say, no, that's going to create a reputation if it's too slow. But try it out. Let's have a look. We'll put in 500. Um, within no time, we had scaled. Within the, the first month, we had scaled to 10,000 because the ways of work were no longer about how to make this agile work. It was agile. And I think the, the difficulty for us as leaders now is how do we capture that and make sure that it continues to be uh, our ways of work as we progress out of the pandemic? So, Michael, taking criticism constructively, I mean, we are mature, hopefully, all of us, that we can take criticism constructively, but many times it comes as undue. And other times there is a mistake made by a team member or, but you take the ownership. So we openly admit mistake on behalf of the team, or in some cases, even you yourself admitting mistake because you went in the wrong direction or whatever the reason might be, which made it a mistake. All of this takes courage. Where would that come from? Because you would already be having 
that courage, which may be dwindling because all of the other things you may be dealing with because of pandemic, right? And I just hope nothing happened in your family or in your next kids and kids that you had any other emotional pressure. But all of us have a source of courage, which comes from somewhere. What's yours? Well, first off, no, I was, I was very fortunate to, uh, you know, have not, none of my immediate family impacted by the pandemic. So I was very, one of the, one of the fortunate ones there. I didn't have that going on at the same time as, uh, as everything else. So that was, uh, that, that was good. But, uh, you know, I did have, you know, my father is in England and that's a long way away. And obviously I couldn't see him for, uh, for 18 months or so. So, you know, everyone's, de- everyone's dealing with, I think, their, their own uh, personal challenges and having to get through them while, you know, while they're working as well. I, I think, you know, I think for me, you know, it's, it's really, you know, part of my development is sometimes to, to speak up more, right? And, and, you know, leverage my gut instinct to say, hold on, this potentially isn't isn't right. This isn't the right way to go, uh, and maybe do that sooner than I sometimes do. And I think, you know, we have the natural in, inclination sometimes to let programs or projects go on a little too long, rather than saying no, we should stop this program, stop this project, and let's rethink it. You know, and I think sometimes it takes a lot of courage to do that. Uh, and I did that in one one instance when I didn't think the program was really going in the direction that it needed to go. But we'd made substantial investments in that. So sometimes you have to make those, you know, those types of bold decisions and and then, you know, just step back and figure out what's what's the next steps going to be after that. What uh, how do you you know, either write those costs off or reinvest them somewhere else and still get the outcomes uh, that you're looking for. But sometimes that takes, uh, it takes a lot of courage. So Lou, many times they say, right, better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. So did you come across situations where you had to fight against the grain, even override what management may have otherwise thought or your people may have otherwise thought? Or would have fought a decision because you felt that's not going to be in the best interest given the circumstances and only to find that you were wrong. And then you said, oops, I'm so sorry, but I gave my best, but perhaps it did not go the way it was supposed to go. You earned the badge of a daring leader who was able to accept mistake if they make a mistake yet they would fight against the grain if they felt that they need to. Yeah, uh, I, think, um, you, um, I think that's what is happening almost now, um, where I've taken some certain thing uh, into almost the letter of the law, and I went too far um, in implementing it. And then while um, implementing it, I can clearly see that it is causing more suffering than good. And um, I kind of like stopped uh, with the implementation Um, because you can interpret things um, according to the letter of the law and be very much precise and correct, but then lose the whole uh, picture in the process. And there's a lot of those examples in, in IT where you, you, you just have to grow up uh, and be able to, to balance things. Uh, I think, as you say, I'm, I'm very willing uh, to say, hey, uh, I was wrong in this. So I've gone and said I was wrong at this. Uh, the reason why uh, it's very easy to make uh, this error is because of this. Because I've now gone to chat to similar 
European companies that are working under the same uh, framework that are five times, six times larger than me. And they were able to overcome this thing that has made me to cause more suffering to my people, but they were able to orchestrate it differently. So my approach, uh, although on paper, was absolutely correct, but in terms of um, how that paper balances with reality and everything else that ought to be considered, um, I could have looked at it differently. So it's a painful one uh, when you when you when you feel it that way. Even if you are saying uh, that uh, on paper is, is is pretty accurate, you can you can fight it through because it's the right thing to do. But you have to balance it with a bigger picture of where you want to take the enterprise. So you have to admit in cases where. Um, you might, you might be accurate in terms of your description of how the problem is, but you might be and be correct in your intention, but the consequences uh, are not what you are, you are looking for. So then you are not correct in moving in those directions. So that for me uh, is so painful because it's happening right now that I need to, I'm backing up uh, on something that I really supported in, in driving forward. So um, maybe one of my last questions, and you can both answer there. Since we are daring, or at least we are trying to be daring, we take responsibility, we need the courage, and we need help. So who all would you appeal to in your position as a leader? who should step up to help you help them become the source of courage. And it's not just who, what other avenues that you think other leaders who may listen to this and could benefit from your advice, who and what should they appeal to or look for as a source to allow them to build that courage, which will help you become the daring leader we all aspire to be. Starting with you, Michael. Yeah, I think, you know, you've got to look at examples of best in class in your industry. You know, who's, who's leading the charge when it comes to cloud adoption or API adoption or agile adoption? And, and many of these, it's, you know, or, or who's got the best mobile app or, uh, you know, I think... You know, and it, and it varies wildly. You know, between different different financial institutions, different banks are good at certain things, but they're not good at everything. So it's it's getting that information and really understanding what is the best in breed, and then how can I either replicate that or overtake that. So I do think having a and, and the way technology is is rapidly moving. If you think of things that are happening right now in the cryptocurrency space. That's obviously got a profound impact on banking. You know, who's leading that? And what lessons learned are there from those, those institutions? And I'm not saying, by the way, that we would be the leader in that, but we don't want to be far behind either. So we want to keep up, keep pace with what the industry um, is doing. So I'd say that that's critical. I, I think it's, it's tremendously important that, that uh, you know, IT has the... So heart, mind, and support of the business. And, you know, we have to make sure that we're not doing things for IT sake. We're not chasing the latest innovation because we like cool technology, even though we do. We're doing it for business value. And I think having that, really being, having a seat at the table with the business, having the support of the CEO uh, is really, really critical making sure that uh, he or she are um, you know, aware of the industry trends, of the technology advances, how that can help uh, the bank grow uh, and how it can protect the bank, uh, I think is really, really uh, critical. So certainly uh, I've learned a lot in my two and a half years here from, uh, from our CEO and he's taken some really 
big bold moves uh, from a business perspective and from a technology perspective. Uh, and I do think that is absolutely critical to helping shape uh, the bank going forward. All right. Uh, so, Lou, you want to give your thoughts and anything that you feel the upcoming leaders, besides the fact that where do you need help and who can help and what can help, but also add on on what uh, type of grooming, uh, what type of grooming do you think upcoming leaders should get for them to become daring leaders? I think taking just more from the human uh, approach in terms of where you know, you get your, your guidance. But I'd like to first, you know, note that I value more what I do not know than what I already know. That puts me in a very good position to be able to listen and listen proactively and actively from either my boss, or the people uh, around me in business, because as an IT leader, it's simple important to listen, not to only what is said, but more to what is not said, so that you can create those partnerships that are required. But I think the best place to get your guidance over and above being a learning a scholar is really your conscience, is really to be to try to get that voice inside of you to tell you when you've, you are going wrong, when you are going right, when you ought to be pushing the boundaries, when to be making sure that you're sitting over the edge. I think that conscience for me is a good guide as a, that provides guidance to where I ought to go. Once again, thank you so much, Lou and Michael, for sharing your insights about how individuals can work on themselves, get some help from their management and their staff, and go for various sources to develop the courage which will make them a daring leader. So thanks so much both. And listeners, please connect with us on social media, subscribe to our podcast. And once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All, signing off till next week. Take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.